Welcome, I'm Larry Olson, and what's on your mind? Once set, it delivers your life. To change the outcomes we want, we must change the plays we're running. Join us at Mindset Playbook with real people, real talk, for real insight. Today's episode is sponsored by Apernio, an achievement acceleration company whose approach to professional development enables clients to gain insights and perspectives to live, work, and engage with more success. Well, I want to welcome everybody to Mindset Playbook, and I thank you for taking your time and investing it in yourself. We've got a very, very exciting program today that I know you'll find not only fascinating, but tremendously insightful. On January 15th, 2009, U.S. Airways Flight 1549 rapidly descended towards the Hudson River. The plane was going to crash. And during the final seconds of your life, what would you do? In what has come to be known as the miracle on the Hudson, the plane landed safely on the water. Dave opened his eyes to find out that he was alive, but his life was changed forever. I want to welcome to Mindset Playbook Podcast what you'll find to be an amazing and most fortunate man, Dave Sanderson. His book, Moments Matter, details the lessons learned from the miracle on the Hudson and how one defining moment can create a lifetime of purpose so you can create your own flight plan for your future. Dave, you've not only had a very personal experience with the crash, but it quickly became global so that we could all vicariously experience it as well. What would you say was your biggest learning from Dave before the crash to Dave after the crash? Oh, thank you very much, Larry, for having me on today. And very timely, because I just got back from the New Jersey side of the Hudson River yesterday. I was up there for the first time since all this COVID situation started. It was very, very emotional to see uh, how things were going up in that part of the world. So I, I really appreciate you having me on. I, you know, I, as I look back on that day, there's a lot of lessons that were learned and a lot of things that were revealed. But I think the one major thing that really came to me is, is that I had to become less judgmental. And what do I mean by that? It really came to light actually about four or five weeks after that situation, but uh, I was in a, in the green room with some other passengers and crew after we were on Good Morning America. And I saw another passenger that went into a very excited and or raged situation. And Kaylee, I like pretty much, probably pretty much everybody else in there was like, what's wrong with this guy? But then I found out a little later that he was going through a divorce and he lost his job. And and all of a sudden I started thinking, man, I judged this guy before I knew what uh, was really going on. He, he started associating the plane crash with all the devastation in his life. And he he sort of let it all out, and I judged him immediately without knowing that. So I think the biggest lesson I had out of that is become less judgmental, and that's opened so many different avenues in my life by just changing that one belief system. Wow. Had you even thought of yourself as being judgmental before this kind of aha moment? Never thought of myself as judgmental, but uh, as I thought back on things, it cost me a lot. I was judgmental. I mean, it, I grew up in the 60s and 70s and with some preconceived ideas and candidly, you know, um, I, as I look back on it, I probably made some poor judgments, poor choices based on being judgmental. Some people, I probably uh, didn't know what was going on in their life. So I, 
You know, I think we're all going through that situation. We see something to size things up pretty quick and make a decision. I, I just tell people now, one of the learnings I had is step back, calm down, and start assessing things before you uh, respond. That's actually what my blog was about this week is the difference between reaction and responding. So I think a lot of times we all react instead of being having the opportunity to really respond, which is a totally different outcome. And, and what do you see as the biggest difference between reacting and responding? Reacting's in the moment. I think you don't think about it. It, it just comes out and, and responding, you know, I learned it was a hard learning lesson for me, very candid. That was a learning experience that started actually probably this eighth or ninth grade for me because I was a very good athlete and I snapped at a referee in ninth grade and got a technical foul. And my coach told me I needed to calm down. And I still had that fire because I played like every game was game seven. I was, I grew up, it's like, this, this one could be our last game. So, but, you know, I, I learned at that moment is, you know, I, I had, I was triggered. People could trigger me. Gotcha. Right. And I had, I had people who go into reaction is we've seen this in the last year, get emotional, get aggressive instead of stepping back for a few seconds and say, okay, what's the best outcome going for me, but for the situation. And that's changed a lot of the way that I've, I've approached this last year. Likewise, I think it was a great learning experience for me. Oh, absolutely. Yes. That's so key to all of our lives is reaction is generally based on past experience and the moment to step back and say, how do I want to respond? It creates that ability to reconnect with the frontal lobes, kind of cut off the fight flight and think. And it sounds like having that opportunity to think has re kind of given you a new perspective on how you look at life. I, I agree. I, I actually, I think played out that day uh, as the plane was going down because, you know, I, I think a, a previous life, if I would go back in my history, if I would have reacted, then some of the outcomes may not have been as well executed as possible. I, I put the game plan together as we were going down. I had the game plan in my head, aisle up out, aisle up out, aisle up out. I had my, so I knew how I was going to respond. So I took the time before, how am I going to respond? But then I tell people, all of a sudden, things start changing very quickly when you're in that kind of a dynamic situation. But I had, I think I had enough maturity at that point to step back and take at least take about two or three seconds. Okay, how do I respond to this? How do I respond to this? Because I think, um, I think if people would have reacted instead of responding that day, myself and maybe some others may uh, may not even be here to talk about it. May not have gotten out of the plane, huh? Yep. I think that situation. I mean, I remember one vividly that helped me. You know, not only help somebody else, but help me sort of get myself stable during that situation. I think that, uh, and hopefully that helped out with that, uh, but the situation in the big picture. Now, let's, let's, you said most people in that situation, that was a little casual. Um, <laughs> you are about to die. So that is a pretty significant situation that would get all of our attention. Fair enough? I agree. And, and what I would, I am very fascinated about I think all of us recognize that at some point, this thing called life is going to be over as we know it. And in the meantime, we're attempting to make it as miraculous of a life as possible with all the challenges and setbacks that we get. But most of them are not on a life and death scale like yours was. Could you just take us through a little bit about what took place that first off got your attention that this is serious? Because you've, from what I understand, have been flying a lot in your life. And, and then how did the 
preparation, as you mentioned, kick in so that it wasn't all reactionary? So, yes, I, it, the first moment I thought it was probably something going on, but not serious when I heard the explosion. But at that point, I still didn't think it was serious because we, most planes, if not all planes, have at least two engines. So at that point in time, no one on the, I mean, no one on the plane knew at that second. Of course, a little later on, we found out that both engines got hit simultaneously, which was another part of a miracle. But so everybody thought, people, at least I've talked to you, thought, okay, we got another engine. But it was really hit me where I knew it was a serious situation is when the captain said his words, this is your captain brace for impact. I never heard that on a plane. <laughs> and that one got my attention. And knew I, because at that point in time, when I, as soon as he said that, I looked out the window and we were starting to cross over the George Washington Bridge, which we found, I found out later, we only cleared by roughly 400 feet. Oof. So it was a, it was a close call right then and there. So at that moment in time is when I had to put my, I, A, I prayed. And then the second I had to get my game plan together, because if I did survive, which didn't look like I was going to anyway, but if I did, I had to have a game plan because now, you know, all you can see in front of you is water. Okay, let's let me pause you just a moment. Yep. Your first strategy or the play you had based on the mindset that was created when you heard brace for impact was to pray. Yes. Couldn't have been a real long prayer. Do you mind sharing with us if it's not too intimate what what your prayer was? Well, I prayed for three things. First thing I prayed for, whatever the dude was up front, man, just get me down. Uh, <laughs> just get me down. The second thing I prayed is the last person I spoke with who was my clients in Brooklyn to call my wife and let her know that I did love her. The third thing is I prayed to God to forgive my sins because okay. now we're within seconds. And I didn't want anything. I could tell people, I make a little joke out, but I didn't want anything between me and God now, right? We're going down. I want to go up and it's not looking good. So I better get things straight really quick, right? And I think it's interesting. The people I've talked to have been in life-threatening situations get to that point. They see it. You see, it. you may not see that white light yet, okay. but you see it, right? And yeah. it's like, if I don't get if I don't get things straight right now, I mean I have time to get things time to get things straight. Why do you think it takes that kind of an experience for a lot of us to recognize we need to get things straight? Well, I think I, I, unfortunately, I think right now in today's environment, a lot of people, the media and other people, are put so much pressure on you not to believe or have a question about faith. And I think uh, you know, but it's amazing because. If you look at the, the major faiths, whether it's Christianity, Juda Judaism, or Muslim, or B Buddhism, they all have a greater belief, and there's one there's one being someplace. Yeah. So what's that's really amazing to me that, but I think it's a lot of pressure on people to say I I'm not cool if I actually say my faith, and live it out my faith, or I say just the opposite. I say you know, I think I'm pretty cool because I act, I actually have a faith. So when something does happen, I have something to fall back on. There you go. There you go. So. You said your prayer, and then take us from there. So I said the prayer, uh, looked out the window one more time. We were going straight in, put my head down. And at that point, you know, I, and one of the most often asked questions I still get is, you know, what was that last minute like? And now you're 60 seconds away. Okay. Something's going to happen. Yep. Within 60 seconds, you're going to be alive, dead, or mangled, right? It's pretty yeah. much the options you're going to have. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, you know, and that's, I tell people what happened to me was the movie of my life passed through my eyes. Okay. I saw things with clarity. I tell people, 4K, I mean, I saw with such such clarity what my life was made up of. I saw myself as a little kid playing ball in high school and when I met my wife. I mean, 
is just amazing. And I contrast that with somebody who I spoke with who survived the earthquake in Haiti. She and I had the opportunity, she's from Charlotte, like I am, we had the opportunity to talk. And she said the same thing when things were crumbling around her and she, she's going down. It's like she saw her, her movie of her life. So I think, I don't know if it's like that for everybody, Larry, but I think here's my belief. If you do have a belief that there's something bigger out there, you probably, that's probably one of the first thoughts you have is this, you have, this is my life. And now I know what my life was made up of. What fantastic insights we are getting into in this episode. If this resonates with you and is provoking and of value, please consider the best-selling book of Get a Vision and Live It by your host, Larry Olson, at Apernio.com. His book has been an inspiration to many of Mindset Playbook's guests, and you'll find everything you need to live the best version of your life now. The results you'll get will absolutely amaze you. Find the book at apernio.com in the shop. And now let's get back. You won't want to miss what's to come in this episode of Mindset Playbook. Did you have any regrets? Not that second. No, I didn't. I, everything that came through my mind was positive. Good. Gotcha. Yeah, and, and I didn't have any negative thoughts at all. I mean, it's like, I wish I would have done this. Oh, I wish I was. Sure. I, that was later on, <laughs> right? But I said, oh, I wish I had more time with, I, with my kids. But that yeah. wasn't that second because you're 60 seconds. And I tell people that's the slowest 60 seconds of your life. I can imagine. But you can see it coming. Heaven's sakes, yes. You can see it coming. It's going right there. It's facing you right there, and you see it. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, don't, don't have that opportunity. I mean, sometimes death comes so quickly to people, right? Your situation happened, whether like a car crash, it just happens, right? Yeah. Or, like or this, you have time. Dave, maybe sometimes when we face the inevitable, that there'll be a moment when we're not here, we have so many escape routes. We have so many other places we can go where we don't have to attend to it. But you didn't have anywhere else to go. Right. I, I, yeah, I agree. I think, um, you know, my mom passed away so quickly. I don't know if she had that that kind of situation or not, right? Because right. she, yeah. she passed away of a stroke. Oh, so okay. she, she went very quickly. But, yeah. you know, a situation like this is, you know, and I, I sort of equate this to something like I talked to somebody because I lived in Ohio in the Midwest for a long time of my life. We have tornadoes. And now I live in Hurricane Al. Okay. I said there's a real there really is a difference because the tornadoes they just come. Okay. I mean, I, I, we were in one; it came right over by our house, right? And that thing just comes. You have no time. We're but in a hurricane, you know it's coming. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yep. And you have time to plan, but you better get the plan together pretty quick, right? Yep. Yeah. So I uh, I just think that uh, you know I was I was fortunate that I had a belief that I had a faith that that and I and one of my thoughts was. I mean, if I, if I do pass away, I'm going to go to a better place and my wife's going to be a multimillionaire. So, you know, <laughs> she's, she's well taken care of, right? You took care of her. Yes. I took yes. Care of her. So I she, would have, she would have been able to pay off the house, which was the last thought that I had for impact. I hope she pays off the house. That's been one of our big goals. We've never been able to accomplish yet. I gotcha. I gotcha. That's fantastic. So you... As I understand, you were you were very successful in, in some 
the major Fortune 50 companies, and you ended up finding yourself transitioning out of that. What, uh, what occurred where you felt you needed to make a transition? Well, I knew pretty much the next day, and, but I didn't have a plan. But the next day when I got back to Charlotte, um, I still didn't know whether my company knew I'd end up in a plane crash because I, I had not heard from them and my wife had not heard from them. Uh, I found out later that yes, the corporate travel people did alert them. But so I went in and had a couple of my daughters with me and I had my the sweats on because I lost all my clothes and I have a sweats on. I said, I just want to let you know I'm okay. And my manager's first, my direct manager, not my vice president, my direct manager said, you're going to Michigan next week, right? Get out. And I knew at that point where I was a number. Oh. I was a number. First, I said, I'm just a number. Somebody else would have been in that seat the next day if I died. Okay. Right? So I said, okay. He, I don't know if he cares about me or not. I know my vice president because he told me I didn't have to go. I gave my vice president credit. He said, you don't have to go if you don't want to. I did go. But I knew at that point, but I just still didn't have a plan. Mm -hmm. right? right? Fortunately for me, as I think you know, I had spent, I was still at that point in time, the head of security for Tony Robbins. And yeah, Tony and, did call. And tell us how you got, before you share anymore, tell us how you ended up getting into security for one of the top gurus, if you will, in how the brain mind behavior elements all come together. How did that occur? I was just volunteering at one of his events because I into all of them and I volunteered. I paid my own way, but at least you got me fan. in. You were a fan before. I was, I was a fan. I did my events. I got a lot of outcomes, volunteered, pay back, be a part of the energy, right? Fortunately for me, his prior wife, well, yeah, it turned out fortunately for me, his former wife had a situation which I helped her with. And she said, uh, have you ever thought about doing security? And I said, it's a lot better than hand out brochures, man. So, you know, she's the one who put me back in the green room with Tony and he just started getting trust with me, right? Okay. Over the next several events and months. And I just sort of grew through the process of being on security team and assistant head of security. And then he, uh, after my mentor, Bill, passed away, he uh, asked me I'd be the head of security, and I, I took it on. So I I was very blessed to be able to be around that. I, I tell people, though, I think I look back, you know, it was unintentionally intentional, mm, okay. right? I intentionally was at the event. Things that happened unintentionally, right? Okay. So I, but, I, but I've had a situation in my life, situation in my life where I put myself in those situations where I'm around people, and you know, I have no problem talking to people, so... I, because I'm here to learn, and if I learn and they, they see some value I can add, then all of a sudden they may take me on. So that's that's what happened. And so you go back to you know January 15th, Tony was the only one that called me in the hospital. Wow. Only that called me. Wow. And there's a video out there he did moments after he and I spoke. You can go out and see the video about our conversation. Wow. But so he asked me, he said, when you get to LA, call me. Because he did, I was traveling, right? And I was going to LA because I was doing all the, Bonnie Hunt, Bella, and all these TV shows and stuff, right? right. So I, I did exactly what Tony said. I hit, hit L.A., called him, and he was in Palm Springs, and for about two and a half, three hours, Larry, I got a doctoral course on the mindset and how what I needed, the, really the in-depth stuff that you may or may not get at the events, but the one-on-one, -on -one, right? And one of the things that Tony said is you, you need to take this and, and do something with it for good. You need to move out. You got to get out of the corporate world. But how am I going to do that? Because I'm making so much money. Yeah, yeah. But I had to put a game plan together. And it took me a few years to put the game plan together. But, mm. you know, 
And all of a sudden, I was ready to execute, and I called my wife, and she gave me the go-ahead. And that was the biggest sale I've ever had in my life. <laughs> she did not want me to leave. Okay, yeah. She liked, she liked the lifestyle. Sure. She liked the benefit. There's some risk involved. And there's risk. Now I'm going on my own, Yeah. right? Uh, and that's what happened. So, I, yeah, and people ask me all, I mean, this is one of the questions I get a lot is, how did you make the transition on corporate life to doing what you're doing and being on stages and all of a sudden speaking all over the world? I'm like, it, it, it wasn't just like pixie dust and sunshine. This didn't happen. Yeah. You have to have a game plan, right? And then one of the things I talked about in my talks is, you know, process saves lives. You have to have a process. Gotcha. And I talk about that. I said, you know, be your physical life like it was for me that day. Yeah. And it might be your financial life. And if you don't have a process on how to handle money, I've been there. I know. Right. Yep. Or how about your relationships? You don't have a process of how to deal with relationships. Biggest pain in people's lives are the pain of relationships. Yeah. Not money. It's relationships. So I, uh, I was very fortunate to have somebody who took interest in me and became a great friend. And at that point, my new mentor after Bill passed away um, and gave me great coaching and thought process and mindset on how to do it. You brought up Bill a couple times. Who, who is Bill? Bill was my first actual, I would call my mentor. I met Bill in 1984. Okay. Uh, actually, it was May of 1984. When I was did you a, meet him? I was an assistant, second, I, I was a second assistant hotel restaurant manager at Howard Johnson in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that means I was the guy working second and third shift. Yep. I was I was a new buck. I knew nothing, right? Maybe. But it turned out to be a blessing for me, Larry, because working that second shift, Bill and his wife, Bonnie, would come in every night. And at first, I, I he was just good old folks. He drove, drove a pickup truck wore a flannel shirt, you're in North Carolina, good old boy, until I found out after he gave me a couple of movie passes, I, he said, take your girlfriend to the movies on me. Now, I was making not making much money, so I was like, great, right? Free yeah. movie passes, right? But then I found out that he owned a movie theater. And I found out a little later he owned 80 movie theaters and restaurants throughout his career in the yeah. Carolinas. Wow. And the nickname he had was the Sam Walton of Charlotte. Well, you never know this guy. But on uh, December 23rd, 1984, he, uh, he, we, had, we had a situation that he got me involved with. He asked me, he said, do you mind if I give you some advice to mentor you? And I didn't even know what it meant. But okay. I grew up in a small town, Larry, and I grew up in the 60s where you respected elders. Sure, yep. It wasn't a question, right? Yep. Nowadays, there's questions on that. <laughs> but back then, so I said, of course, thank you. So for 14, 13, 14 years, he mentored me and I, he was telling me stories on all these, I go to a challenge and he'd give me a story on how he solved it back in his early career. He, this, he started his, his movie theater business in 1929, right for the depression. Whoa. Yeah. And he built this thing up during a depression. Hmm. So the guy knew what he was doing, but he, it wasn't pixie dust and sunshine. Right. And he, he's going through a war, depression, family. I mean, so fast forward to 1997 after my mom passed away, and I, after we buried her, he asked me to come over to his office here in Charlotte. And I went over to see Bill. Bill was 82, 83, 84, somewhere in there at that mm -hmm. point. And he sat down and he gave me, uh, he walked over to his desk. And he, um, first thing he says, I, I, I want to let you know I got lung cancer. Now, Bill smoked two packs a day. Okay. So, you know, he started in 1920 smoking, probably going to catch up to you. But then he went over to his desk and got these, 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 these bunch of papers and sat down and he said, I want you to have these. I said, what are they? Because these are the, the notes I took when my mentor sat down with me in 1929 on how to be a success in business. No I want you to have them. Wow. The last thing, one thing he said, do not let it die with you. Okay. Okay. So 
I didn't do anything, Larry, for the next, I mean, I put him away. I didn't do anything, right? I'm an idiot. But I tell people, what I, one, of, one of the greatest learnings I had out of the plane crash, and the reason I think I didn't die, even though I think we all executed, okay? There is a, there's an execution involved. But I hadn't fulfilled that promise yet. Mm. I couldn't die without fulfilling that promise. Yeah. So I think if you look at the underlying things, yes, there's, there's physical things and emotional things and mindset things, but ultimately it came down, I had to fulfill a promise that I had fulfilled. Mm. And that's what my mission is now, fulfill that promise. Because right. he gave me this gift. And now I'm going to give it, I'm going to leave it to, my goal is to leave it to a million people in the next 10 years. So yeah. you've given me a gift right here to be able to share this. And I'm looking for 10 people who want to, who want to learn this, who want to, like I did, be immersed and I will show them how to do it. Like Bill showed me. Oh man, that's, that's really something. So, so he was kind of an Earl Nightingale, but, but behind the curtain. Yeah. I mean, he was a businessman, right? Okay. He was a businessman in small town at that point, small town, Charlotte, North Carolina. Right. Yep. Yeah. I know where his first movie theater was. He was a part owner and I've been over there here in Charlotte. I've seen it. It's still there. In not open, of course, we're not open right now. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, and it's like, you know, so I, you know, he, he's one of those guys. I mean, he's just a crusty old guy. I mean, right. I just, but he had a big heart and I think he was looking for somebody. Okay. okay. That he could trust. Gotcha. And I think he saw in me that somebody that would not let this die. Right. It's like, he's, he's take, cause we sit down and talk. We go, we go to the Ryan steakhouse and we go have ice cream I give him a problem we're having, and all of a sudden, he sort of gave me the story. Okay. And all of a sudden, the story had the lesson. Yeah. And that's what my book's about. This next book, which I'm redoing, is about that. It's about these lessons that he taught me in a way that I could absorb it. But what really came out of that is my mom and dad taught me the same things. Okay. But I didn't listen to them. Sure. Right? I'm right. a typical kid. Right. <laughs> You're going to be independent. But I feel they they were teaching me the same things, but he had a way to bring it out, right? Okay. And then yeah. Tony took another level and said, "Let me." He gave me the distinctions on these lessons. Okay, okay. and he, he would dice them in like proximity is power, right? Yeah. Little things yeah. like that that I could add into it, right? So you look at situations, proximity is power. I put myself around people who have who could I can help or they can help me. All of a sudden, so I mean. I've been very, very blessed to be un intentionally unintentional with the people I've uh, been able to associate with. Continue with Larry and Dave for part two of their interview, where you'll learn how to move from unworthy to worthy. What happens in your life when you change can't to can and the power of knowing why you are here in this life?